We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device comes with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 1, Episode 10, 7.15 a.m. The original air date was January 22nd, 2012. The writers were the Kitsowitz, with teleplay by Daniel T. Thompson. His writing credits include Terminator, The Sarah Connor Chronicles, Batwoman, Westworld, and five episodes of Once Upon a Time. The director was Ralph Hemmiger. His directing credits include Blue Bloods, The Flash, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Kindred, The Embraced, Renegade, Silk Stockings, and a further 27 episodes of Once Upon a Time, including the series finale. And the title card is Red Riding Hood. For some weird reason. Yeah. She's in it. She's in it. She's in it. <laughs> she shows up. She shows up. Yeah. But they make some choices. Like they, which the spitting honestly for still small voice. Yeah, like which makes it honestly make more sense than some of the other title cards. Cause it's like, well, at least she shows up a couple times in this episode. This is true. And isn't a total non sequitur. All right. So let us begin our tale. Uh, we begin the episode on a gloomy day in Storybrooke with a close-up of a wooden and leather case strapped to a motorcycle belonging to the stranger who rode into town last episode. Mm. The, stra- <laughs> the stranger is working on his bike outside of the mayor's house as Henry comes outside. Bold as brass, Henry walks up to the stranger and asks him what he's doing in Storybrooke. The stranger basically replies, just visiting... Henry turns his inquiry to the box, which the mystery man says contains something to do with what he came to town for. I thought you were just visiting, says our good stranger danger boy Henry, which the man sasses, doesn't mean I don't have something to do. The man warns Henry that a storm is coming, just as Regina walks out of the house. He takes off just as Regina approaches her son and wonders who the man is. Get it out, Lynn. Get it out now. I hate August. I hate him so much. Why is he here? Don't talk to Henry. Don't even like look at him. Just go to hell. I hate you. (laughs) Henry was definitely the deputy to McGruff's Stranger Danger Special Assembly at his school. Because he's a smart boy. I just love him. He's just like, what are you doing here? Yeah, he knows. He knows from the get-go. He's like, you're shifty, mister. (laughs) And I'm like, that's my boy. Henry, Henry is genetically predisposed to be very suspicious of <laughs> yeah. everybody and everything which is good because he probably wouldn't have lived this long if he wasn't true <laughs> absolutely true across town mary margaret blazes through the loft in a rush to get out the door telling emma that she's late for school as she needs to be there by seven fifteen to help the kids with their science fair project i adore mary margaret running around with her toothbrush hanging out of her mouth like she's late for anime school <laughs> also just like the sheer indignation of we're making a volcano like god emma <laughs> It's her delivery of that line is just the cutest fucking thing. And also, I just have to note, I too wrote, Mary Margaret is late for anime school in my notes. So I guess that- I mean, sweetheart, we've lived together over a decade. (laughs) (laughs) The very indignant way she says, we're building a volcano. Building a volcano. 
you know like the uh, nerve so, of emma <laughs> she's so cute i love her she's the cutest she's my favorite i love that she says we're building a volcano as if she and the kids are revolutionizing heart valve replacement with vibranium oh it's serious it's business so serious. it's serious business and i think i actually think we already saw the fucking volcano like when um graham came to visit her yeah i but think you're right I'm like, okay, so you're building like another volcano? Like, ooh, I don't get it. We're about to find just, out it is a lie. Uh, I was gonna say, I think she's just banking on Emma not knowing a damn thing about what Mary Margaret actually does at the school all day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so she's also, like, she doesn't even know it's not science week. <laughs> also, fun fact, Jennifer Goodwin was really brushing her teeth in this scene because she loathes the lack of realism in TV and film when actresses won't use real toothpaste. And this fun fact is courtesy of the DVD Blu-ray commentary a la onceuponatime.fandom.com. The more you know, the more you, the know. More you know. That's delightful. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. <laughs> Joe. Where's she really going though, Elisa? Yeah. In actuality, <laughs> we see that Mary Margaret heads to Granny's Diner where David regularly shows up at 7.15. They exchange pleasantries before he walks back out to the car, where his wife, Catherine, is waiting. Emma shows up and asks Mary Margaret if she's stalking David. She denies it, but proceeds to recite David's schedule, including that Thursdays they get Chinese for dinner. You can see, like, Mary Margaret's face when Emma's, like, asking her. She's just like, oh, no. Oh, no, I'm a stalker, aren't I? Yeah, just that, that, that realization of, like, Oh. horrifying moment of clarity. <laughs> yeah. Emma is sympathetic to Mary Margaret's plight of being unable to get David out of her mind, but says the first step to breaking the cycle is to not show up the next morning. Mary Margaret laments that love is the worst, wishing there was a magic cure. Oh no, she makes me so sad. Mary Margaret, sweet baby. I know, poor Mary Margaret. I've so made this wish so many times. <laughs> <laughs> In the enchanted forest of the past, Snow White is trying unsuccessfully to hunt for game when her friend Red shows up. Snow remarks that she's not expecting her friend for a month, to which Red informs her it's already been a month, commenting how Snow is dealing with the solitude in the forest. Red gives her a basket of fresh supplies, and the conversation quickly turns to the fact that Prince James is marrying <laughs> Princess Abigail in two days. Snow is frustrated that she can't forget him. She wishes there was a way to get him out of her head. Red's expression indicates a potential answer, and after Snow presses her, Red reveals there are whispers of a man who can achieve even the most unholy of requests, a man who can do what you ask. Snow wants to know who this is. This scene made me happy because it's our first Snow and Red flashback, and I really love their little friendship. I do too. It is super cute. We cut to nighttime. We see Snow rowing a boat across a fog-shrouded lake. As she moors her boat to the narrow dock, Rumpelstiltskin appears in her boat, asking her to name a price for her exquisitely made boat. Not realizing this is the man she is sneaking, Snow White gruffly tells him her boat is not for sale. Of course it is, he remarks. No one comes to see me without a deal in mind. Realization dawns on Snow as Rumpelstiltskin says he's been looking forward to meeting her. He asks what ails her, to which Snow replies she needs a cure for a broken heart. The most painful of afflictions, Rumpelstiltskin comments, before he warns her that nothing, not even he, can make someone fall in love. Snow clarifies, emphasizing that she and the one she loves cannot be together. Rumpelstiltskin plucks several strands of her hair and puts them together in a potion, he says, will make her unable to remember who the prince is the next time she sees him. 
As love is the most powerful magic, so the cure must be extreme. Love has killed more than any disease, Rumpelstiltskin emphasizes. When she asks him to name his price, he raises the remaining strands of her hair, saying that's all he wants in return. Snow asks what he wants of it, but gets no straight answer. I know that all too familiar feeling of wanting to forget someone I am hopelessly in love with. I really empathize with Snow here. I am unsure if it is mentioned this early on, but the lake or perhaps the river is likely to be the river Lethe from Greek mythology. Lethe is the lake that shades drink from to forget their earthly life before they can be reincarnated. Also, my final note for this scene is Rumpelstiltskin continues to look delicious. Nom 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 nom. Rumpelstiltskin is like in his top unhinged wizard game in this scene. I'm just like, back away slowly, Snow. Back away slowly. No, no, no he, like, he really yeah, is. the manic like, giggle really drives it home. He, I mean, he really though is genuinely excited to meet her finally. He is. <laughs> He's just like, yay, it's so light. I mean, obviously she's like very confused. Like, how the hell would you know me? <laughs> have heard of me, sir. And it's like, oh, you know, you'll find out one day. Horrible uh-huh. reasons. <laughs> nothing <laughs> weird here, ma'am. Nothing weird here. Nothing weird to nothing see. Weird, nothing, nothing weird to see. I'm, I'm totally not going to be very fixated on your firstborn child for, you know, the next 30 years <laughs> or, <laughs> or anything. <laughs> Let me assure you how on the level I am by maniacally giggling every five seconds. It's, just, it's still, like, it's, it is a top tier Rumpelstiltskin giggle in that scene. It's like absolutely like when when you when you have the knowledge that like you know uh robert carlo based it on his child like i'm like oh i you, you can tell like from that like you can absolutely see like some maniacal little big boy like running through like a house like giggling <laughs> like that you know and i'm just like yeah i can see how you're inspired by your kid we return to storybrook where mary margaret literally runs into Catherine at the dark star pharmacy which also doubles as a corner store bodega market the contents of their respective baskets spill onto the floor. Catherine finds a massive Apollo chocolate bar that Mary Margaret is buying, while Mary Margaret picks up a pregnancy test that Catherine is buying. Mary Margaret politely wishes Catherine luck with the test. Having witnessed the exchange, Regina urges Mary Margaret to be discreet, adding, their lives are their business. Jesus, Regina, you just need to get your fucking pot shots in, don't you? Settle down, fuck. So, another fun fact, Dark Star is actually not a reference to Marvel as we previously thought, but a Grateful Dead song, because Edward Kitsis is a big deadhead. Interesting. Fun fact. Back in the past, Prince Charming, aka the fake Prince James, is brooding out on a balcony while a merry feast goes on elsewhere in the castle. King George finds him and gifts him with a golden crown from King Midas. Prince Charming remarks that he could feed the kingdom for an entire winter with the crown. The king replies that once the new James marries Princess Abigail, they will have the wealth to feed the entire kingdom for all of eternity. King George not only demands enthusiasm from Charming, but also his heart. My poor beautiful himbo prince. He's too good for stupid Caleb from the OC. He just looks so sad. And the music is so inappropriately chipper. It is. It's like, here's this man whose life is ruined. And there's just this like yachted music over it. And it's like, (laughs) no, this is in poor taste. 
poor charming and king george is just like you'll be happy about it and he's like yeah. you threatened to murder my mom if i didn't get married what am i to have to be happy about this poor it's so fucked up boy. he's like i'm doing it i'm doing it you don't need to, like i don't need to be happy the way like the like i don't know if it was just me but like the way that king george delivered his line of like I also want your heart. I was like, whoa, wait, what? <laughs> like, maybe it's just me and like, you know, my fucked up brain and how like, you know, just like all the years of what I've been reading and writing for the last, you know, 20 years. But I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> like I had to... Oh no. Oh no. Hell, I mean, he apparently already had a baby with Rumpelstiltskin, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, that's he had true. a baby. He had a baby. He did have a baby with, with Rumpelstiltskin. You know, that one impreg timeline. <laughs> I got good. Oh, no. right. I mean, Rob might be, you know, an unhinged <laughs> wizard, but I don't, I don't even, I don't wish King George on him. We don't oh, wish no. fucking King George on nobody. No. no. Except no. for like, I don't know, the edge of a cliff. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Charming claims his heart will belong to Abigail, but the king knows Charming's heart is held by another woman. The king demands to know this woman's identity. Charming admits to being besotted by another, but does not reveal who she is. King George tells Charming to forget her, to honor the choice Charming made by taking on the role of Prince James to save the kingdom. He further demands that the prince do whatever it takes to get the other woman out of his head, because nothing is going to stop the impending wedding. Charming says this was the role he never wanted to play. When the king leaves, Charming writes a letter to Snow and sends it off with a messenger dove. He didn't want this. He just wanted to be a giant dummy playing with sheep. Poor guy. Poor guy. He's all like, I really like that hot bandit who hit me on the head with a rock. She was pretty. She, she was wouldn't pretty. make she me was... do this stuff. I liked pretty girl. This is ass. This is ass. I don't like the lady with the feathers. <laughs> you mean. <laughs> Back at Storybrooke, Mary Margaret is in the woods and finds a dove caught in a net. She takes it to the animal shelter where David works, and the vet there tells her the dove should be okay, but it's a rare breed that forms monogamous relationships and it won't be happy here, even if it heals. Bro, that's a morning dove. Go to Wikipedia and it literally says it is, quote, one of the most abundant and widespread of all North American birds. Okay, they created this species for the show, but it did make me snicker because they're totally just using a morning dove. Also, who is this handsome vet? Who is his fairy tale counterpart? I want to know more about him. Is he Dr. Doolittle? Is he Aesop of Aesop's Fables? Like, who is this guy? I, I, I want to know. He's, he's, he seems competent. And we don't have a whole <laughs> lot of competent people in Storybrooke. Like, I want to know more about that one doctor who, like, came out to talk to Emma when Ashley, like, had her baby. I was like, I don't think we ever see her again. Like, we keep seeing fucking Dr. Whale. And I'm like, wait, where's that competent doctor we saw? <laughs> and, and, and I do have to note, both of these people, people of color. She was, she was a woman of uh, Eastern Asian descent, and this is a Black man. So I'm noticing when the people of color show up, because there's not that many people there's of color. There's not that many. No. Yeah. No. Mm. And I also Same. second, let's learn more about this vet, especially if we just, I don't know, take all of August's airtime and give it to developing this character. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Let's do let's that. Let's do that, yeah. I'm, like, I'm let's never look at August again. Tell me everything about this vet. <laughs> I'm for it. I'm for it. 
Mary Margaret figures she has to get it back to its flock, but David thinks it's a bad idea with the storm coming. Mary Margaret says no one deserves to be lost forever completely alone, so she's going to try to beat the storm and take the bird back to the woods. David offers to drive, but Mary Margaret politely rebuffs his offer. Poor sweet Mary Margaret projecting onto this wounded bird. Mary Margaret is just like, <laughs> if I can't be happy, then this bird will be, damn it. I know. I mean, talk about, and what is it? Anthropomorphification? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, it's definitely you know, like, it's Mary definitely Margaret, are we still talking about the bird, honey? <laughs> yeah. We're not talking about the bird. We're not talking about the bird. This isn't about the bird at all, is it, sweetheart? No. And I do have to say also about morning doves, even though this is technically, I guess, not supposed to be a morning dove. Morning doves do generally like mate for life, but it is not impossible for them to like, they're not going to like starve themselves if like their mate is lost or whatever. They're like, they're, they'll find another mate. Okay. I'm just saying. <laughs> Mary Margaret, it's okay. It's a okay. fucking bird. She'll Aww. be fine. She cares about the, she cares about the birds. The I bird know. is where she's putting her feelings that she doesn't have <laughs> another place for. <laughs> because she ate the giant Apollo chocolate bar already. Yeah. <laughs> so she's got to put her feelings somewhere else. Can't put it into eating her feelings anymore. So now she's got to project on the bird. Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, as Emma is reorganizing the trunk of the sheriff's car, Regina shows up and asks Emma to look into the stranger in town, specifically who he is and what is he doing in the storybook. Flippantly, Emma remarks that he must be one of the untold millions that Regina cursed, which gives the mayor a hesitant pause. Emma offhandedly says, you know, Henry's thing. Regina tells Emma that the man took a particular interest in Henry, which gets Emma's attention. The sheriff promises to look into him. Regina immediately hates August, and for that, I love her. She's like, he looked at our boy, Emma. Destroy him. <laughs> Regina's like, stranger danger, fix this swan. Fix it. <laughs> yeah. Come on, Sheriff McGruff, get on it. <laughs> and I do like that Emma has like a face journey where she's like, the fuck you say he talked to our boy? No. I was like, holy shit. It really was like, kind of like Scooby, like. Yeah. She's like, I'll kill him. Hashtag Henry has two moms. Concurrently, Mary Margaret drives through the coming storm with the dove in a cage on the passenger seat of her truck. Okay, correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first time we are seeing Mary Margaret behind the wheel of this truck? I, I feel like this is not her vehicle and we're seeing it for the first time. I don't know. I'm, I'm just super confused because I mostly see her walking around town. I, I think you're right. And if I remember right, she drives a station wagon. So I don't know whose car she's driving. <laughs> Maybe she was like, no, David, I am not going to accept an offer uh, for, of you driving me out to the woods, but I, but I will take your car. I will take your truck. I will take your truck. truck. Because I swear to God, that's his truck. Yeah, she got wired it. Yeah, she probably just took his truck. I deserve this. This asshole we, tax. This asshole tax. <laughs> <laughs> we get a quick flashback to the past where we see Snow White contemplate the potion from Rumpelstiltskin. Before the dove delivers a note from Prince Charming, he reveals his feelings to Snow White and asks her to come to him and show him she feels the same way so they can be together forever. And if you don't, I will have my answer, he writes. Fun fact, while shooting this scene, Josh Dallas was sitting off camera reading the letter to Jennifer Goodwin. However, the filming crew had no script. 
so he improvised different versions of the letter by saying things he liked about her. This fun fact, courtesy of the DVD commentary. That's the sweetest thing. Oh my know. goodness. So fucking cute. I know. So cute. There's, I love them. I love them too. They are so oh stupid cute. They're, They're so, so stupid cute. cute. I will never be over that it's just real life Snow White and Charming actually fell in love and got together. I'll never be over it. <laughs> never. Never. Flash forward to Storybrooke. We see Mary Margaret get out of the truck with the bird. Then we quickly cut to the enchanted forest where Snow White poorly attempts to dupe a coordinator, claiming she is delivering flowers from the kingdom of Midas. Reluctantly, he gives her permission to pass, warning her to take the service stairwell. Snow White manages to sneak into the main castle and hides when she hears someone approaching. It's charming, but Snow does not reveal herself fast enough as the knight grabs her from behind and takes her to a cell in the dungeon. The knight reads the note Charming sent her and says, the king will decide your fate. Snow tries to climb a craggy wall to escape through a window, but falls and hits her head on the ground. She comes to a dwarf whistling in a cell next to her and he introduces himself as Grumpy. She says she has to escape because there's someone she loves and she's not going to lose him. He tells her his story of love. He worked at a diamond mine and traded all his money to a foreman to get the diamond so he could propose. But the diamond had been stolen and he took the blame. I'm no thief, he says, but they think I am. He says he should have known better, but wasn't thinking clearly all because of love. Full story, bro. (laughs) I know a way out, says a voice from somewhere. It's another dwarf named Stealthy who snuck in and knocked the guards out with sleeping gas that Doc whipped up. Stealthy opens Grumpy's cell, and as they're leaving, Snow wishes Grumpy luck and says, I hope you get your love back. Perhaps against his better judgment, Grumpy takes the key and opens Snow's cell as well. I will forever be like, what the hell? It was a time for being like, oh yeah, the eighth door. Stealthy. Stealthy? Stealthy? Come the fuck on, man. I, I like stealthy. I stealthy? remember. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> it's funny and clever and cute. And, and I was just like, all right, cool. Stealthy. I dig it. They could have used a stealthy. <laughs> I. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, um, um, so I remember watching this for the first time. Um, like I said before, like the first season, I I marathoned with my cousin, and I, you know, I think we're still on our first day at this point watching it. And so it was probably like three a.m. I don't know by the time we got to this episode, and for some reason we thought Stealthy was just the funniest shit, and we were like, oh my god, Stealthy! And then five because it's pretty goddamn ridiculous. <laughs> and then five minutes later, Stealthy dies, and we're just like, no, Stealthy. Spoilers, Elisa. That's like no Jesus, that's like a couple paragraphs down. Sorry, gentle readers. (laughs) I know you were all holding your breath through Stealthy's fate. That's okay. You've been screaming about somebody named August who I have not named. They need to be warned. I have been calling the stranger because I'm trying not to reveal who the fuck he is. (laughs) They need to be warned about this motherfucker so they stay away from him. That's true. Stranger danger. Stranger danger. danger. Know your enemy. His name is August. His name is August. Stop this man at all costs. (laughs) All right. (sighs) Back in Storybrooke, Mary Margaret brings the dove to where the flock is. But lightning strikes the cliff where Mary Margaret is standing. She slips and winds up hanging precariously off the edge of the cliff. You and your damn birds, Mary Margaret. 
but this is her moment. All her bird studies have led to this. She has to do this. Right. I, like, like all of her bird studies have better have led to her being able to like whistle. <laughs> so like a huge flock of birds come sweeping down to her fucking rescue because that's that's what this moment is for. <laughs> yeah, Mary Mar make them a sweet house. She did. She did. They owe her. Mm -hmm. Mary Margaret struggles to climb back up the cliffside, but then David appears, pulling her up to safety. You'd really think I'd let you come out here alone? He asks her as the sky opens up and begins to stand for. Mary Margaret races back to the cage to get the dove, but David insists it isn't safe to stick around. Back in the past, the three fugitives are sneaking through the bowels of the castle. Snow thinks they should go one way, but Stealthy thinks they should go another. Grumpy follows Stealthy and Snow stays behind. Soon enough, the dwarves are stopped by guards accompanied by the king. Stealthy tries to run and is shot with an arrow by a sniper, explaining why we only know of seven dwarves, not eight. Pouring out for Stealthy. Gonna listen to Snow, my dude. Yeah, it wasn't very stealthy of him, was it? That's just what like, I was saying. Right, like, do a run. Like, stealthy, is he no. accurately named? Because his big stealth plot was just to yell, run, and make a dash for it. Those are skills. Those are skills to pay the bills, my dude. Poor Stealthy. Gone too soon. Smart. <laughs> That's why they didn't call him Smarty. Smarty. No. Honestly, they probably shouldn't have called him Stealthy either. He wasn't. The king demands to know Snow's whereabouts. But when Grumpy claims ignorance, the king orders him killed. Before the sword is swung at his neck, though, Snow shows up and threatens to burn down the castle if the king doesn't let Grumpy go. The king concedes, allowing Grumpy to get away. But the king wants to talk to Snow, who turns herself in. And as we know from the episode Desperate Souls, only one hay bale outside is enough to take down a whole castle. Truth. Truth. In Storybrooke, Mary Margaret and David find shelter from the storm in the form of an empty cabin. Conveniently enough, there's a fire burning in the fireplace. Okay, I'm going to save the audience from confusion by clarifying that we, the narrators three, know whose cabin this is. This is not random, and it makes me squeeze. Gosh, just like the the two people caught in a storm and finding shelter together uh, when those same two people have had sexual tension and then they recently had a communication breakdown and now they're forced to like talk it out is such a good trope. Like that's some Hata Yuri Dango shit. It's some drama shit. It's so good. And I, I love it. I love this plot device. I, I will say this also, like I, what's missing in the cabin you know, it's nice that the fire's there, but I, I really wish that uh, the owner of the cabin had left like a bucket of champagne and some roses <laughs> and some like sexy, Just like Barry White music going on. Rose petals scattered all over the scattered floor. Scattered everywhere. <laughs> and there's only one bed, but it's so cold. So it's you have so to cold. share it. have to share it. <laughs> and, and you know that... Like, you, you both know who this cabin belongs to, and I do not put it above them to do all that. <laughs> no, no, all it's missing is them staying off to the side going, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> The biggest shipper of snowing. <laughs> I think we should clarify the cabin doesn't belong to Henry. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, this is true. Kevin, that would be hilarious. <laughs> the second biggest shipper of snowing. The second biggest shipper of snowing. Because no For one sure. will take Henry's crown. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As they warm themselves, Mary Margaret admits to David that she still has feelings for him. She says she goes to Granny's at 7.15 every morning to see him, but being around him is too painful because he chose Catherine over her. He laughs and admits that the reason he goes to Granny's every morning at 7.15 is to see her. He leans in for a kiss, but Mary Margaret abruptly backs away and asks him, how can you do this? She says she knows that Catherine thinks she's pregnant. What? David responds, bewildered. (laughs) Lol. Whoops. Meanwhile, Emma shows up at Granny's Diner, where the stranger (sighs) is drinking coffee in a candlelit booth. Emma says he is suspicious because he was outside of the mill's home and talking to Henry. The stranger reveals that Henry was the one who approached him and asked the questions. He further claims that he was only in front of Henry's house because that's where his motorcycle broke down. I hate this stupid fucking douchebag. With his stupid douchebag necklaces and his stupid douchebag jacket and his greasy douchebag hair. Emma should just like yell at August like his character is yelled at in Vice <laughs> Club when he's just sitting outside the door being a nuisance. You ain't ever getting in this fucking house. <laughs> he was in Fight Club? Yeah, yeah, he's the first one who shows up outside the house to like follow the ways. Edward of- Norton hits him with a broom. <laughs> tells him um, to get off his fucking movie. porch once and i think it was for like a film studies class i to not incriminate myself will in no point admit how many times i've seen fight club (laughs) because it's embarrassing emma then asks him about his mystery box but he tells her she's going to have to wait a long time before he reveals what's in it or he says she can let him buy her a drink sometime and he'll tell her right now she agrees and he opens the box revealing the content to be a typewriter. Look at me. I think I'm motherfucking Hemingway with my motherfucking typewriter. What year do you think this is, you sack of shit? I, I do have to say, I mean, it is, the fact that you even bring up Hemingway is kind of amazing because Hem- Hemingway would have done this kind of shit too. Oh, I like, know. That's yeah. why I picked Hemingway. <laughs> like Hemingway was such a fucking tool and, and a dick bag, just, just like August. Mm-hmm. So, um... Yeah, absolutely. This is like some Hemingway shit. Yeah, he definitely it is. Hemingway. Just being like, look it's, at my typewriter. He's, he's hipster Hemingway. <laughs> look yeah. at my typewriter. Is that hot enough for you? And it's like, oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I, I'm I'm so old-fashioned. I really like Ugh. it this way. Fuck Ugh, those I don't, like, laptops. I'm too good for that. I don't believe in modern technology. It soils my art. I have to <laughs> stick with the original way of doing things. It's real like, pain equals real art. Just feel it. Uh, uh, <laughs> I just hate him, guys. <laughs> guys, I just hate him so much. So we love your hate for him, though. That's that's the thing. It's very good. I just like I have to take a walk after I watch any episode with him in it. I have to just like take a lap around my house and cool down because I get so riled up. I hate this character so much. <laughs> I need to like stick my head under like a faucet of cold water. <laughs> he says he finds Storybrooke provides inspiration, 
She asks if he's been there before, and he replies, I didn't say that. He gets up to leave, and Emma asks about that drink. I said, soap time, he says before leaving. I feel genuinely heartsick for people who are attracted to men like August. He is such a pompous dick. And I know for a fact that there are people out there who, like, find this kind of, like, walking against the wind, devil may care, hipster Hemingway, like, attitude to be attractive. And I'm like, I I feel sorry for you, genuinely, Ugh. because you deserve better. You don't deserve this, this. fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. He is such a dick. And the show is just like, ooh, a mysterious stranger. Will he be the new love interest? Will he be the new Graham? And I'm like, how dare you stand where he stood? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't like that. No. For a little while, we are like teased, like, we're teased oh, that, yeah. We're teased, like, oh, is this gonna be like the new ship? And it's like, dude, Graham's body is not fucking cold in our hearts yet. So shut yeah, up like, up. how dare you? Dare? How dare you show? Graham was kind. And he volunteered mm-hmm. at the animal shelter. And he washed his fucking hair. <laughs> yeah. Not like this greasy motherfucker over here. <laughs> is he greasy? His hair is so oily. It's so oily. I'm so glad that I put in my headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I warned you that as soon as we got to August, it was going to be me No, no, no. That is, a, that, is, that is a genuine <laughs> thankfulness because, because I... I'd rather it be in my ears than echoing in my apartment. (laughs) (laughs) We return to the cabin of romance, where David admits he didn't know Catherine thought she might be pregnant and says they weren't trying to have a baby, as far as he knows anyway. The storm has stopped, though, and Mary Margaret dashes outside to release the dove to join its flock. I love how sweet and happy Mary Margaret is for this bird. She's too good for this place. This is the payoff of teaching Bird 101 in a time loop for 28 years. Good job, Mary Margaret. You deserve this. Yes, all of those 28 years of a time loop in Bird 101 has led up to this exact moment. The series, is offici- bird one time. The, the series is officially over. The end. <laughs> the, end. the bird was set free. The end. This is the true plot of Once Upon a Time. Thanks for joining us. We'll have to find a new show. (laughs) As they watch it fly away, David tries to hold Mary Margaret's hand. She says they can't, but he tries to convince her otherwise. He says he feels like he has two conflicting lives. Memories of feelings for her and real feelings for you. Mary Margaret says they're going to have to forget each other and walks away. David, God damn it. Mary Margaret is so much better than being your piece on the side. Here's where we hit the part of the show where I'm like, I love Charming, but wow, David really pisses me off. Yeah, this this scene, though, it always just hurts me right in the filios. Right in the filios. Oh, no, it's a hard one. Oh. <laughs> I just want her to be happy. As I said before, she's too good for this place. Yeah. In the Enchanted Forest, King George tells Snow that he knows about her and Charming. He goes on to say, Love is a disease, and like all diseases, it can be vanquished in one of two ways, a cure or death. Deep. (laughs) He commands Snow to walk down to Charming's room, tell him she got his letter, and that she doesn't love him. He says it will break Charming's heart, and that will cure him. Snow thinks that if she doesn't do this, the king will kill her, but he reveals that he will kill Charming instead. 
King George says killing Snow would just make Charming love her more, and the marriage and kingdom would crumble. But if an assassin killed him, he'd die a martyr, and Midas would lob the death, and the merger of the kingdoms would be complete. You would do that to your own son? Snow says, horror-struck, to which King George hisses, he's not my son. I hate you, Caleb from the OC, you bald, villainous motherfucker. King George is such a dill hole. Like, don't get me wrong, top-tier villain move to plan the assassination of his fake son and all, but dill hole nonetheless. Uh, he's the fucking worst. The worst. He's forcing Snow to White Fang Charming, and I hate him so much for it. White White Fang? Like yeah. the dog movie? Yeah, you have to yell at White Fang to make White Fang Fang go away for <gasps> oh, I hate that trope. Yeah. I hate that. No, yeah, I know. I know. Okay, now I understand. Yeah, and I hate that when people do that to, like, animals, like in Game of Thrones, like, like Arya did that to Nymeria and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. In White Fang, that happened. I hate Fang. that. It always like mm-hmm. makes me cry super hard. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's like, oh no, you trust humans and now you shouldn't. So now I have to be mean to you to show you that humans are evil. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It's the exactly. worst. It's like White Fang. It's yeah. like Game of Thrones. Like Moulin Rouge. Thank you for curing me of my ridiculous obsession with love. Sorry. Poor Christian. We next see Snow entering Charming's room. I love soft himbo charming, just packing his little backpack in this scene. <laughs> it's really cute. He just has his little backpack and he's just like, doop, 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 doop. it's, it's just really like, so oh, this, this simpleton. I love this himbo. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, he's like whistling. What is that song from? Remember the parent trap? The whistles like, do, 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 do. Yes. Yes. That is absolutely it. <laughs> Overjoyed, the prince pulls Snow into a fierce hug. Before he can kiss her, though, Snow tells him that they can't happen. As Charming tells her that they can leave all this, Snow tearfully tells Charming that she does not love him. She apologizes, but encourages him to fill his heart with love for someone else. Someone who can love you the way I never have, the way I never will. She returns his letter and walks away crying silently. Oh, we should just totally stab Caleb from the OC for making this happen. This is so agonizing. And mm. I really feel for them. I mean, okay. So, I mean, yeah, I guess like an assassin would would technically work because they would be on the run forever and ever if they just like kind of blew him off and she was just like, you know what, fuck that. This guy just said that he was just gonna like kill you, but like, I love you, let's go, fuck it. But yeah, I think uh, they'd just be running away forever. That's why not to, you know, monopolize Mean Girls precedent, but we should all just totally stab Caesar. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that is kind (laughs) of- That's where I'm at. I'm like, just kill King George and this will all be fixed. (laughs) This scene is so sad. I'm just, I'm- sad and their sad little love theme playing over the scene it's so sad and snow is just really she tries to be like as sweet as possible in her white banging and my heart <laughs> my heart i mean that's it, what she does your heart will go on elisa i promise you she basically uh, does the go on now get thing to him <laughs> yeah go on now get, go on get, now, get, get, get out of here boy get, get out, out of here, here boy Ugh. We return to Storybrooke at the Nolan residence where David and Catherine talk the morning after the storm. She says she feels like he is here, but not here. She says it's been hard on her and that she wants a family and children with him. 
So he says she thought she was pregnant, but when the test came back negative, she was upset at first, but then relieved. She says she wants them to fix the relationship, and he agrees. She asks him to join her in seeing Dr. Hopper to get help. He tells her he knows they should be in love, and he wants to make that work. She notes that it's 7.10, and they should leave if he wants to get coffee at the diner before work. He suggests that they instead have breakfast at home. Literally this entire scene, all I could fixate on was how every damn thing in this room, everything, including David and Catherine's outfits, everything is blue. Everything. Like there's coordinating and then there's, you know, this shit. Matchy matchy. A lot of blue. It's too matchy. (laughs) Back in the enchanted forest, Snow cries as she walks away from the castle. Grumpy joins her along with six other dwarves. He asks Snow if she found her love and she says, worse, I lost him. Grumpy invites her to join them on their trip home. We all lost somebody today, he says. Doc notes, now we're seven. Grumpy vows to Snow that they are going to protect her. She says the only thing that needed protecting was her heart, and now it's destroyed. Grumpy tells her it will get better, and she agrees as she takes out the potion from Rumpelstiltskin, explaining it will erase all her pain. Grumpy urges her not to drink it. He says he doesn't want his pain erased. His pain makes him who he is. It makes me grumpy, he says. He tells her to keep the potion, and if the pain is too much, she can always drink it. But for today, put it away, he says. She agrees, and they continue walking. The dwarves taking her in is so sweet. Mm. I love Grumpy just deciding, nope, you live with us now. Like, this gruff man taking in this sad girl is just so cute to me. And he holds her hand while they walk, and it's very heartwarming and sweet, and it's just... Yeah, I love the hand holding. Yeah, I really love their friendship, and just like, oh, I like that actor, and I like, I like the character of Grumpy. I think he's really cool and very, very sweet, especially with Snow. Yeah, very sweet with Snow. Very sweet with Snow. But I definitely just have a weakness for when there's like a very, very gruff character, but then there's like the one person that they're like, no, this is mine. We will be good to them. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so cute. In Storybrook, at the loft, Emma notices Mary Margaret's gaze on the clock. It's 7.15, and Mary Margaret hasn't left yet. She reaches across the table and holds her hand in support. Every interaction with Emma and Mary Margaret is just so soft. What an excellent silent scene. I love it. It's so touching. It's so well acted. It's so well blocked. It's everything. Like These are two really great actresses who clearly have established a rapport early on and really um, got that whole, even though it's not known to them consciously yet that they are mother and daughter, like it's still very familial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems, it seems like this is our, what, what's great about Once Upon a Time, when it really gets it right, a lot of this episode gets it really right, and this part is just, it's so lovely, and Emma reaching out to Mary Margaret really gets me, it's a lovely little scene. Back in the Enchanted Forest, Prince Charming rides out to the forest looking for Snow. Red sees him, and tells him that Snow never came back after she went to find him. Then I'll find her, he says, I will always find her. Ah, beautiful himbo charming. I love you so much. Elsewhere, Grumpy comes running into the dwarf's house with the news, royal wedding is off. He announces to Snow that Prince Charming isn't getting married to Abigail. Dazed, Snow has a blank look on her face as she asks, who? The camera closes in on Grumpy's line of sight as we notice the empty potion vial on the nightstand. 
No, no. Back in Storybrooke, it's 7.45 when Mary Margaret pops by Granny's diner to get her coffee. David walks in, sees Mary Margaret, and abruptly leaves. She chases after him, and then Ruby is just there at the counter watching them run like, what is this story now? <laughs> no, man. Ruby, Ruby like knows what's going on. That's the thing. She like, has, she, she definitely she has watches. a knowing look. Yeah. She's she, like, yeah, she's like, she, she's like, darn. And like, she definitely know, like, has like a, oh, so that's how it is. Look on her face. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, and she's like been shipping them. Cause I think she, I mean, she's known this whole time. I, I like oh, yeah. That. Like, yeah. like they're coming in and like what's going on. Cause you see it like in the background, like early on in the episode with her, with like her little knowing smirk and stuff yeah this has uh, been her free entertainment every single morning yeah exactly <laughs> and she's you know she, you know her she's rooting for snow or yeah. of course she Margaret. is david says he's trying not to see her and mary margaret says she's trying not to see him too they don't know how to resolve this but when david tells mary margaret that Catherine isn't pregnant they kiss right in the middle of the street Seriously, guys, right in the middle of a public street in broad daylight is not the time or place for this romantic ass kiss. Even if it was romantic as heck, like, well, this is a small town. People are going to know. And speaking of people going to know, across the street in her car, Regina witnesses the forbidden kiss. Great. I'm sure Regina's going to be super fucking chill about this. End credits. Okay. So I have to, I have something to confess in that the very first time around when I watched Once Upon a Time many years ago, many, many years ago, I was not really all that invested in snowing, um, but I'm really into them now. And this episode just makes my heart hurt so much. Um, I think knowing that Jennifer and Josh are happily married sweetens the saga of Snow and Charming. Like you can palpably feel their love the most powerful magic by Rumpelstiltskin's own admission, fighting against this curse. Like it's, it's bringing them together, like, you know, actively. They are the best and I love them. Though, like I mentioned, Charming is my sweet boy, but this is the part of show where I start to just be perpetually angry at David and all the dumb choices he makes. Also, yay, we get to have so much August. Yay, August. I'm so happy. I totally don't wish he would die. <laughs> oh, I really do love this episode, guys. It's it's romantic as heck, and it hurts in the best way. But yeah, like, like Lynn just said, this kicks off the part of the show where you're like, I love Enchanted Forest Charming. I love him, he's perfect. But Cursed David is about to repeatedly make terrible moves and just cause all the anger because he is going to make choices. He makes me choices and I'm going to be so disappointed in him. Disappointed Marge, grown. Pretty much. I know I didn't have much to say about costumes in this episode. Emma's winter hat was a lot, but she still looked cute in it. She looked so cute. She was keeping warm. She's yeah. keeping warm. Don't, don't. She just looked cold. I know. She looked very cozy. But I do like the kind of this cherry on top of Mary Margaret's fixation on David with her cute little beret in that final scene because it perfectly matches his eyes and it was lovely. That's like the main costume piece I noticed this episode. Yeah, the only costume I really noticed was Rumpelstiltskin's. It was nice. Because <laughs> I noticed him. That's all. Like, Snow's bandit outfit is great, but like at this point, it's not, you know, new. It's not new. We've yeah, seen it's it. Not new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not like there was like a brand new like showstopper 
Yeah, yeah, Queen Regina comes in the next episode. So yeah, yeah, like we don't, you know, Regina's not here wearing something new that might be good or a total miss. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll see some. I think we'll see some uh, costumes that we will be commenting on in the next episode. Oh so. boy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was a good or a bad oh boy, yeah, but you'll have to find out next episode. Oh, yeah. we'll find out next episode. We haven't rewatched it yet. Yeah, <laughs> I have to rewatch it for a second time. So I yeah. remember some of the things she wore. Pepperidge Farms <laughs> always remembers. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, uh, okay, Once Upon a Timeline. Yeah, welcome to Once Upon a Timeline, the name I just gave this segment an hour ago. <laughs> it's right. good. Now it's time to place uh, this series of flashbacks in the greater timeline of the Enchanted Forest. So the flashback begins sometime after Snow Falls. As Bandit Snow White and Prince Charming have met, they've gone on their adventure together to retrieve Charming's engagement ring. They've since parted ways. We find them thinking of each other longingly when we first meet them here. By the end of the flashback, we see Snow sadly walking surrounded by the seven doors. The same scene that the evil queen had spied upon towards the end of True North's flashback. Letting the audience know this backstory is taking place along the same time period as the flashback in the previous episode. So this episode's flashback is going to follow episode three snow falls flashback and it's going to go alongside basically during concurrently with episode nine true north and that's where we are all right next time on once upon a rewatch a dejected sydney enlists the aid of emma to help uncover evidence that could expose mayor regina as the corrupt person she really is to the townspeople of storybrook and Mary Margaret and David continue their secret rendezvous while trying to figure out a way to unleash their unrequited love. Meanwhile, back in the fairy tale land that was, King Leopold, Snow White's father, stumbles upon a magic lamp and is granted three wishes by a genie who warns the king to be careful what he wishes for. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the narrators three. The moral of this episode is, don't name yourself stealthy if you're not in fact, stealthy. You can find us on anchor.fm slash once upon a rewatch, on Twitter at once upon rewatch, and at Tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com. I want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music, Kevin McLeaf. Our intro music is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all box devices come with a price. Where snow, where snow white poorly, where, where snow white, sorry, snore right. I thought you were going to say Snorlax. We're Snorlax. Sorry. Hold on. Okay. I'm getting my giggles. Snorlax. Snore white. Poor Snorlax. <laughs>